American podcasters are lost in the swirling maze of past and future ages during their latest series of movie reviews. It's the Time Shifters Podcast. We're going to attempt time travel. Welcome to the Time Shifters Podcast. This show discusses film and television from the long and recent past as well as the news and events surrounding them. We thank you for tuning in and would love to hear from you. Follow the link in the show notes to all our social media and websites, or send us an email to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. All I'm asking you to do now is to witness a demonstration of the possibility of movement within the fourth dimension. Everyone, and welcome back to Time Shifters, and we are still in our time travel series. I am here with Tom. Tom, how have you been? have been traveling through time no um, yeah i well i do understand you've been traveling i understand you traveled to the happiest place on earth is that what they call it these days <laughs> um, i thought that's what they called it yes uh, listeners uh I, I have come back from a family vacation to walt disney world orlando florida and i am here to tell you they are not on their game these days <laughs> <laughs> The stories you told before we started recording have pretty much just cements the idea that I will never go to a Disney theme park. As we were discussing, nine years ago, took our took my son at four with the family. Um, it was heaven on earth. That place knew ran like a top. It was clean as a whistle. The people who were doing the cleaning were capable of doing it without ever being seen. It just stuffed the the trash, the trash, everything. It just disappeared from view. You never, you never saw the workings. Everybody was happy to be there. It was a fantastic trip. I would nine years ago say absolutely. This is a place to go. Yes, it's expensive, but it was worth every penny of it because they did go that extra mile wait wait times on rides were were still long even nine years ago but reasonable and you got through them and and you enjoyed the experience and everybody there made it a thing for you to okay yes we acknowledge there's a lot of people here everybody wants to come but we're going to make the this as pleasant as possible now it's more expensive there's half of the experience that's even available to be had, employees are pissed off. Um, apparently, they don't get paid very well. Disney, if you're listening, pay your people. Um, they couldn't deliver on the experience, and they made it as aggravating as possible. And even with the story, without going into the diatribe that I went into earlier, I had an opportunity to spend more money with them, and they went out of their way to make that as difficult as humanly possible to do for no reason other than the fact that they felt like they couldn't pull it off, even though they could, and did in the end, but they made it as aggravating as possible to get there. We could manage to have fun because we were there to have fun, but it felt so much like work, and it wasn't... Mm the experience that should have been. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is just due to the issues that have just come naturally with the pandemic everywhere, and especially Florida, I know, has been hit really hard over the last couple of years. Take out the pay factor, just finding people that want to be around that many 
people, I think, must be difficult. Well, remember, in Florida, not to get political, but they don't believe that there is a a pandemic. It is a different... The government certainly doesn't. No, I know that. No. Uh, if, yeah, the Florida government uh, is its own little animal, and we won't get into that. But uh, but that in and of itself, yes, uh, agreed. The pandemic has changed the nature of a place like that. I am fully acknowledging that they have to overcome and reignite what it was that they were prior to the pandemic while still being in a pandemic. It's not over. So I will give them room for that, but you are asking an awful lot out of the patrons from a monetary standpoint to put up with their challenges by charging them more money and giving them less of an experience. It just didn't come together. And I'd be curious because uh, my parents did plan this. And this was supposed to go off two years ago, this particular trip. It was originally scheduled for what ended up being one week after the country went into lockdown. Yeah, so this got shut down right then and there. And it would have been interesting what it would have been like to get there before we had gone to lockdown. I wonder if it was different. I'd like to think it was, but they have some work to do to get back the magic that they supposedly have. And since this is their 50th anniversary on top of everything, I expected a a little bit more than we got. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Scott and Tracy Morris, you know, uh, Disney and Disney Indiana podcast. I know you guys, I think you just went to uh, down there to at least like the uh, Star Wars experience or something like that. I'd be actually curious if you would, if you're listening to maybe a writer or send a uh, voicemail in or something to let us know what your experience was while you were down there. If you kind of uh, felt like you were being shortchanged for the, (laughs) for the, uh, what you felt you were paying. Yeah, uh, from the the Star Wars perspective, uh, the rides were cool. Uh, the land, the territory was neat. Uh, but yeah, the wait times can be insane. And one of the points of uh, problems were they had some really cool shopping experiences that are not open to everyone, and so you can't just discover and enjoy. You have to plan 60 days in advance to enjoy things that you have yet to see. So that gets a little insane. The one shout out I will give is they have had one ride there that predates their ownership of Star Wars. It was called Star Tours. It was a Star Wars themed ride that they had on in the park as part of Hollywood Studios. It was completely prior to any thoughts of their Star Wars land area. That ride, I remember back in the day, because I rode that back when I was a kid. It's it, it's an older ride. They have reimagined it in today's... So they redid the ride. It's kind of funny. As cool as some of the rides are back in the Star Wars area, this old ride was probably one of the more superior rides. (laughs) They did such a nice job redoing it. And then we were pleasantly surprised because we visited Hollywood Studios twice. And we rode it both times while we were in the park. 
it's a different ride. Day The day one we went, we got one version of the ride. The next time we rode it, we got a completely different ride. It, oh, that's interesting. It was different because it's one of those um, ride in the car, see the video in front. The car moves around to give you the sense of flight. Two different videos. We were actually kind of thinking if we had gotten stuck in Hollywood Studios on another day, we'd try to go again. See, uh, see if we get a see, third, or yeah, yeah. See if the, <laughs> do they have a daily one? Or are they rotating two? Is it different depending on which car you get in? Either way, it, it was like that's a reason to go back. <laughs> like, I and it's not one of the longer ro- lines, so you could get in it and actually feel like you enjoyed the experience. It was nice. I was actually I was there when I was a very 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 young child with only the memories that you have of like a dream that you had when you were you know six or something like that. Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Just little snapshots like the things like the uh, nothing that is probably there anymore. Uh, I think like the 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 twenty thousand leagues under the sea uh yeah, ride the Nemo whatever vague recollections of like the train driving through the streets with Mickey Mouse on the back waving to everybody. You know. <laughs> there are versions of that. Yeah. That's that's all I remember from my trip. <laughs> no, and actually that's a good point because uh, like I said, it's night and day between the last time I was there and having been there this week. My son was four at the time he went nine years ago. Right. And he even commented, he's like, I admit, I don't remember most of that trip. And I'm like, I wouldn't expect you to. You were four. I mean, that's a mm-hmm. long time ago. It's probably the age I was. Right. So he has some sense of the place, but but he doesn't really have a lot of firm memories. So he was like, so this is the... This is the trip I'm going to remember. And even he said it was not the experience that was built up. <laughs> it's memorable for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. yeah. yeah so That's unfortunate. Please, Disney, get your act together, please. <laughs> You're raising your ticket prices literally as, as we speak. And you're expecting an awful lot from people when you're not really delivering. I am just not, uh, I guess maybe it's just age. (laughs) It's either age or wisdom. But yeah, the amusement park thing, we've here locally, we've got the King's Island. Yeah. And I've been there in the past. I used to go there all the time. Used to go there once a year. My dad, the company my dad worked for, used to have a a company day. And all the employees went and they had breakfast in the international restaurant. And then you got free pass to the park and you go and ride. So well, at least once a year. Yeah. Um, I've been there as an adult, you know, a few times. Not any time in the last probably 20, 25 years or whatever. I'm not missing it. <laughs> I don't really have like this desire to go and put myself in those situations anymore. Yeah, no, and I have been to Kings Island within the past year, and I'm like, I don't need to go. (laughs) I'm still a big people watcher. That was always a thing that I enjoyed, even as a young adult. I loved just watching the people that I I would see there at the park and everything. But the prices have gone up so much that 
there's no way I'm going to spend that money just to go to watch people. If I'm going to spend like hundreds of dollars, even for like a season pass or something like that, I just assume it go to the zoo <laughs> and not go to the zoo. I can watch people at the zoo and see some cool animals uh, yeah. and not get beat to death by some <laughs> 50-year-old roller coaster. Two comments on that. One of the things uh, I kept mentioning to my own family is as I was people watching throughout Disney, uh, I actually started to wonder how many families get broken by by a Disney trip. <laughs> and my mother actually asked, "Do you mean financially or 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 psychologically?" And I'm like, "Yes, to yeah. both." Um, and I didn't share this with you before this, but this is a thing, like. One in every 30 to 40 families that I saw would be wearing some version of T-shirt where the parents, it would say, like, hashtag broke in Disney Mm -hmm. script. Right. uh, While the kids would be hashtag spoiled. Um, (laughs) But no, there are a significant number of T-shirts just simply devoted to how being on a Disney vacation is financially crippling. Yeah. <laughs> like, Disney, if you're paying attention to the fact that your own patrons are walking around with billboards that say it's either this or getting cured in a hospital, <laughs> like, <laughs> you should have problems with that. Yeah, I have no idea what the, you know, these the costs were back in the early 70s yeah. when I would have gone. I'm sure it was still expensive. I'm sure my parents still probably, I mean, this was probably a big thing for them to do, to take the three of us to something like this. Uh, I can't even imagine. I, I guess they felt like they should or something because they were young parents. It, and this was, I mean... Uh, Walt Disney World at the time was only a few years old. Didn't you just didn't you say the park opened like in seventy one or seventy two? Because this 72? is the fiftieth uh, mm-hmm. anniversary. We probably went seventy five, seventy six. You know, something like that. Going to the park did not break your parents at that time. It would have been the travel and the stay, but not the park because when the park opened, it was like three dollars per person. Really? Yeah. <laughs> in the seventies. That was an affordable place to go. And, and what's funny is we actually watched, uh, there's a there's a tribute to Walt Disney and his dream. And in it, the thing that, the theme for what he was discussing as he developed the park is he, he just wanted a place where he could take his daughters and spend the day as a dad. That mm-hmm. was the inspiration for, for Disneyland and then Disney World, is just have a place to take your kids your kids and do something for the day. Yeah, um, I imagine he's probably spinning in his grave uh, at what it's become. And I, I, I had put that on a survey that I received and, and, and seriously, I, I hope they t- take it to heart. I hope there are other people telling them this is not the vision that Walt had for the place. I'm like, they're creating class systems within Disney. You have to pay. There's what you pay to get in, but then there's what you pay for the privilege to be more privileged than the other people who have paid to be there. I'm like, that is ridiculous. Right. It creates such animosity in the park. And mm-hmm. it, is, it lends to some of the dysfunction of even trying to enjoy getting on a ride. If there's a, 
a have and have not, literally a have and have not line, <laughs> you are making a problem. <laughs> this is supposed to be fun. Yeah, I'm kind of glad. Um, I mean, my son's a teenager now, and he, he's an older teenager now. And so the the attraction of, like, the amusement park and everything, it's just not there. It, it actually never really was there right. for him. And a lot of that may be the fact because we didn't go. Sure. You know, much. Um, I'm trying to remember if he's been to King's Island. I'm sure he has at some point. It wasn't something we did regularly. Yeah. So it's nothing that he's drawn to. It's nothing that he misses doing. We went to the water park a couple times, not at Kings Island, but to the there's you know, uh, the beach water park, only because he got like free tickets because he got like straight A's in fifth grade or something like that. Right. And so I had to pay for myself to get into the water park, <laughs> which isn't terribly cheap, you know. No, <laughs> no it is not. And 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 those and that's fun, you know. Some of those rides are a good time when they're running right that's another thing too even this is way before pandemic times and oh sorry that one's not running because they don't have the people there because you know the water park just isn't a big draw as it was when the thing first opened right especially when you got the big king's island water park almost across the street well and that that's half the problem with uh with disney they are sucking in enough money but whether it's they cannot employ the people that need to do it or their rides are just overly complex and need attention constantly, whatever the case may be, we, we'd be in a long line and then hear that it's going to be delayed or half uh, or at a diminished capacity or something because they can't get it running. I mean, we, the day we tried to get on, we did go on Rise of the Resistance, their big Star Wars production one, which, again, is a, a very neat experience. But we got there the start of the day, got in line so that we could get on the thing because it will get build up to three hour long waits. We got in at early enough that we could we ended up waiting maybe 20, 30 minutes. So reasonable wait. But even when we got into the line, the park hadn't opened yet. We got into the line and they already said it's delayed. Mm. Like, that's start of the day. It's already delayed. (laughs) You didn't work on it last night. You didn't work on it all this morning. I'm like, come on. This is your bread and butter and you can't get your your stuff running. I think some of the Star Wars experience stuff, I think... I would probably think is really cool, except for the fact that there'd be so many people around that it would be like, okay, you're taking away the coolness factor because I can't do what I want to do or can't see what I want to see because there's a crowd. They manage that okay, but uh, to that point, though, uh, the Rise of the Resistance, it's kind of a two-part interaction. You get on this shuttle that ends up putting you on a Star Destroyer, um, which that part goes pretty quick. And then once you're on the Star Destroyer and you, you walk, you're on a hangar deck. You are on a Star Destroyer. There is a garrison of stormtroopers staring at you. And they are all, they're not images. They are suits of armor staring back at you. And they're animatronic. They're not people. 
but they have worked in those human little ticks. The head slightly turns, the hand moves. You get the impression that they are living, breathing beings in front of you. It's super cool. But that's the first half. The second half is the actual ride component. And they have to do a transition in there. And we ended up waiting in another 15 minute long line to get to the next thing. So you've taken me completely out of the experience <laughs> because everybody in line is starting cracking jokes. You know, if this was really the first order, don't you think they, they'd have either uh, interrogated us or thrown us out of an airlock by now? I mean, I don't remember seeing in the movie where there were lines forming. <laughs> <laughs> so you're supposed to be in the middle of the interaction and they totally take you out of it right away which is kind of sad well, but you understand what i mean is I do. You know, they i see videos and photos and i'm thinking that so many of them are kind of like staged in off hours or something or they close parts down and i've had this same experience locally with this i mentioned the zoo you know, the Cincinnati Zoo has, of course, the world-famous Fiona the Hippo. And everyone loves Fiona. Everyone loves to go and watch Fiona. I've caught glimpses of her, but I've never truly seen her because there's always a big crowd. And you see all the videos that the, the zoo posts and stuff like that. And you see, like, this one little girl down there and Fiona's swimming by her. I'm thinking, yeah, how many people are behind some line just so you could get this little shot because there's no way in hell you could do this any other time of the day. It, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, I almost kind of don't want to go back now. We were in town uh, last year and my son and I went with my parents and we got that one magical day at the zoo where the temperature was perfect, the sun was up, every animal was out and moving around and it wasn't so crowded that we couldn't see everything. It was an amazing trip. That's like, fantastic, yeah. I was like, this is the one they put in the videos. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. For God's sakes, the King Cobra was out and moving. <laughs> you never see that damn thing. Oh, we, we have had days like that just pre-Fiona. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. but we have had, because my son and I, that was like a great babysitting tool. Sure. Uh, there was a time where my wife worked every other weekend or every other Saturday. Uh -huh. And so like, well, what do I do with this, you know, single digit, this young kid, keep him busy, keep him occupied. Well, we went, we went, we had a pass. We went to the zoo. Yep. We'd go to the zoo almost every other weekend throughout the summer. And so, yeah, we would occasionally have those perfect days mm -hmm. where it's just like, it wasn't real crowded. The temperature was perfect. The animals are out doing their things. And I'm like, this is awesome. And you you get you you start bumping into all the little uh they call them like the uh the animal ambassadors or whatever the you know the keepers are walking around with some creature and uh -huh. you can just walk right up and pet the snake or this armadillo or or whatever it is and not have all these people other people around. I'm like this is this is brilliant. I was a kid. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, no. We got to have that that day and that was super I'm like awesome. dragging my kid behind me to go up because I want to go pet the <laughs> I want to go see this monkey that's, this person's got. That was half the problem of uh, dragging a, a newly minted 13-year-old around Disney. Was I'm like, <laughs> I want to do stuff too. Come on. <laughs> right. I will give a shout, a shout out to one thing. The Ratatouille ride at Disney. Um, that one packs in a heartbeat. 
and for every reason it should, that is an amazing ride. <laughs> it is the perfect blend of motion, 3D animation, and um, assaults on all your other senses because it takes place in the kitchen too. They're piping in smells. They're heating you up under the oven. They, they, they're doing all sorts of stuff. It is the coolest ride. <laughs> That's nice. I think you've mentioned that before to me. I don't know if you mentioned it online or just in discussion or whatever, but you have mentioned the Ratatouille ride before. Yeah, we rode that one four times. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. My son, who loves Ratatouille, is like, Dad, okay, I'm done with it. I'm like, I'm not. Get your butt in line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I had rides like that at Kings Island that unfortunately are not there anymore. Yeah. One ride, it was there forever. It had been there since like the day the park opened, but I never rode it because I was too chicken <laughs> because it went upside down, you know, when I was a kid. I was just, no way I'm riding that. I finally was there with a bunch of friends, and that's probably why I rode it because I'm like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Because I was a teenager, and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to like say I don't want to ride this. You know? So I rode what was called the Screaming Demon. Oh, yeah, the and, Screaming Demon. And all it was was one big loop. Yep. You went through the loop forward, and you went through the loop backward. Yep. That was the ride. That, yeah, it was it. just back and forth. You actually had to climb stairs <laughs> to get to the top of this ride. So it was like four or five stories tall that you had to climb these stairs to get up there. You get in the car, you go through the ride once, and you climb back down the stairs. I rode that that year. I freaking loved that ride. I ended up riding that ride like 10 times that day. <laughs> and then they tore it down the next year. It was probably... I was crushed. <laughs> it probably got torn down because I don't believe it was particularly accessible. Well, yeah, that is true. It was definitely was not accessible. <laughs> yeah, your uh, utterly impaired folks were probably not getting to enjoy yes. that one. Nope, there was no elevator. No. There was no there was no retrofitting that to provide one nope. or anything. No, <laughs> no, and I, I was I was crushed. I just discovered this amazing ride, and it's gone <laughs> yeah you, you, you hate to see it uh, and, and and rightfully so if they couldn't engineer it so that others could enjoy it then yeah nope, i understand it had to go but you would you just really kind of want them to go can't you figure out how to get a ramp or, or a, yeah. an elevator well and or i mean like i said it was one of the originals it had been there i think king's island opened up in the early 70s as well something like that so it was likely 30 years old or something like that by the time I'm on it. And yes, it is just this big, very skinny tower that you get up there and it's just this a ride that sways. You could feel the whole thing move as the train went back and forth. <laughs> so, I mean, I get it, but it was still just, I like, what was I thinking by not riding this ride for all these years? If anyone listening has any comments on some of the fun or not-so-fun things that they have encountered, please feel free to share. It's a fun conversation. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing. Even with my less-than-fantastic experience, it's still an experience. It, it's generated this conversation. So that's right. what half of these things are for, is just for getting you talking. 
All right, then. I don't have anything else to really talk about at the top of the show. Um, I will just throw in a reminder to that you can help support the show by sharing the episodes and leaving any uh, ratings and reviews at any places that allow it. And just uh, follow the Linktree link that's in the show notes for all our social media uh, links. And also, if you are so kind and have a little bit of money after your recent uh, jaunt to whatever amusement park you go to in your area... You can provide a one-time or recurring donation at Kofi.com, or um, go check out the uh, the merchandise at the T Public Store. Um, you follow the link on our on either from the uh, link tree or from our webpage at TimeShiftersPodcast.com. Anything you buy at T Public, whether it comes from our store or not, does provide a few pennies back our way to help support the show. So that's that's all I'll say, and I'll leave it at that. I think we'll take a break, we'll listen to a promo from their podcast, and when we get back, we're going to look at 1973's Idaho Transfer. C-3PO, Loki, Mace Windu, Dr. Bruce Banner, Captain Rex, Venom, Princess Leia, Jean Grey, Darth Maul, Nick Fury, Grand Moff Tarkin, Captain America, Lando Calrissian, Cyclops. What do all these characters have in common? Well, two of them were played by Samuel L. Jackson. A couple of them were played by Hammer Films veterans Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Come on, guys. You know this. Well, of course we do, Jessica. Just like Mickey Mouse and Captain Jack Sparrow, they're all now Disney characters. Hello, I'm Tracy of the Disney Indiana Podcast, and my co-host Scott and I enjoy talking about all aspects of the House of Mouse, and that includes their newest properties, Marvel and LucasArts. We also talk about Disney resorts, the cruise line, theme parks, and whatever else Mickey has to offer. Which includes movies, Imagineering, video games, and collectibles. You'll never know what we'll decide to talk about. So check us out at www.disneyindiana.com or do a search for the Disney Indiana podcast on iTunes because now we've got a lot more to talk about. And don't forget about those other quote-unquote Disney characters like, well, Sully, Fozzie Bear, Buzz Lightyear, Link Hogthrob, Doug, Janice, Merida, Pepe, Bruce, Ralph the Dog, Wally, Dr. The Disney Bunsen Indiana Hindu, Podcast. Syndrome, Even after five years, we're still miles away from the nearest Main Street, USA. We're not listed on the map, but you can join us at www.disneyindiana.com. Idaho Transfer is a 1973 science fiction film that is directed by Peter Fonda. Coming off the success of 1969's Easy Rider, which he co-wrote and produced, and this is the second film directed by Peter Fonda. He previously directed and starred in the Western film The Hired Hand in 1971. The film stars almost entirely of non-professional actors like Kelly Bohannon, Kevin Hurst, and Dale Hopkins, but there is an appearance by Keith Carradine, who is one of the sons of actor John Carradine. Keith has become a successful actor, appearing in things like Deadwood, Nashville, and Dexter. According to an interview with Peter Fonda, Kelly and another actor were discovered by him. Kelly was a cashier or a waitress at a uh, local cafe, and the other was a repair person at a bike shop. <laughs> the $500,000 film was financed by Peter Fonda. 
and principal filming took place in Arco, Idaho, Craters of the Moon National Monument and Preserve, and the Brunel Sand Dunes State Park. Karen Braden, who has recently been released from a stay in a mental hospital, joins her sister and father at a top-secret research facility. The two have been spearheading a government-funded experiment in matter transportation. What they have kept under wraps from their financiers is that they have actually unlocked a secret to time travel. Predicting that an ecological disaster is coming soon, Karen's father hatches a plan to send a large group of teens and young adults to the future to skip the disaster and rebuild society. Apparently, the transfer through time is lethal for adults. When an accident during her first trip to the future causes the death of Karen's sister, Karen falls into a state of depression and effectively hides from her father in the future. By the time she decides to return to the present and speak with her father, the government has closed down the project and removed her father from the facility. She and a small group manage to take themselves and supplies to the future before the time transfer devices are powered down. It is up to the small group to explore the vast wasteland of the future and try to find someplace habitable to call home. Unfortunately, Karen's hopes for a better future are dashed when a dark secret about the effects of the transfer is revealed. I will say that we are going to have to spoil a lot of things about this film to actually discuss it because some of the major points that need to be discussed are major points of the movie. So stop now if you have any thoughts on watching the film spoiler-free and come back and finish the show then. We'll wait for you. Great. We were sitting here waiting for you. We're glad you're back. I hope you enjoyed the film. <laughs> so let's talk about Idaho Transfer. I'm pretty sure this was a first time watch for you. It was. It was on a Mill Creek box set that I have. And it's one of these, I think I bought it at like Sam's Club or something, where it's like 300 sci-fi classics, <laughs> quote unquote. So it's got like, I don't even know how many discs, and every disc has like two to four films on it you know like it's a two-sided disc and idaho transfer is on that set and at one point i was kind of starting the disc one and working my trying to work my way through the set and that's how i found idaho transfer interesting i'm stunned as i'm looking through some of the details of this this was released literally the day and year i was born (laughs) oh was it yes June 15, 1973. <laughs> oh, well, we, we should have saved this for your birthday. <laughs> you know, um, I'm not going to beat up on this too much, but I don't know that that's the present that I want. <laughs> <laughs> it's the thought that counts. Of course. <laughs> I don't think Peter Fonda was thinking of me. <laughs> when I first saw this, it was one of those films where, well, obviously, I would not heard of it prior to that sounds like it had a very small theatrical release in 73 and then really didn't see the light of day until the late 80s when it finally managed to come to home video i was doing a little reading up on it apparently the uh production company or whatever uh that 
Peter Fonda had this film made out of, like, went out of business just prior to its release, which is... Yeah, I was going to say, I think it, like, immediately went bankrupt. They, like, debuted this film, and I don't think there was any connection between the two, but then they immediately went bankrupt and probably put this film in sort of, like, a limbo of who really owns it kind of thing. Yeah. Or who's allowed to distribute it. It, it, it took its toll on some of that, and it did cause for uh, limited distribution and all that, So, um, which wasn't it helping it. But uh, interestingly enough, um, jumping right in, um, your description of the film and, and many of the ones that I found, I, I'm very thankful for them because watching the film... Um, I see those in there, but uh, you could watch that film and miss just about everything that explains what it is that you watched. I think what kind of intrigues me about this film and always has is that I feel like there is really a great idea and a good movie fighting to get out. Yeah. But it's, it's caught in this film and it can't quite break out. Yeah, like, the fact that, uh, well, starting right off, the the notion that time travel was found out of an attempt at matter transference, not sure where that actually got brought up in the film. Like, who knows all about this? Nobody. Nobody outside the project. Not even the government. Do they even suspect? Nope. They still think we're working on material projection. They don't know anything about the time bit. That's why Daddy has to play tricks. If any of the creeps ask questions, we just give them a phony tour. See, Dad and Lewis are trying to get it together to secretly transfer a lot of young people into the future, bypass the echo crisis or whatever it is, to start a new civilization. Daddy can't come, huh? Uh Uh-uh. Something to do with the kidneys. Lewis says it's curtains for anybody much over 20 to try it. Don't say anything to him about it, okay? I, I actually really like that. And and this is a thing that I, another thing that intrigues me about this film is sort of the attention to detail yeah. that they actually go, that they put into this film. It's a lot of little small elements give it a sense of, um, I hate to use the word realism when you're talking about a time travel movie, sure. but that's the only word that I think really comes up. Uh, there's the whole thing that they you can't be wearing anything metal during the transfer. I mean, they actually have to remove Karen's braces before yeah, she, she can go through. No, no zippers or jewelry or anything. You can't wear any of that. And maybe some of that was just an excuse to get young girls into their underpants. <laughs> but but they they set those rules and they stuck with them. Yeah. And they gave backstory to support it. They they mentioned things like, "Oh, uh one of the the guys uh, went through with his glasses on and almost ripped his ears off." I mean, they like like it happened. Right. You didn't see it, but it happened. And that's is this is why we do this. And like there's just this weird attention to detail kind of just speckled throughout this film that just I just really liked. Yeah, and those are the kind of things that at least made it watchable for me. Uh, um, 
There is another detail that it came up while while I was doing some reading about it. Apparently, our heroine, uh, the 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 teenager we follow most, uh, Karen, she was in a mental institution. That was brought up early on. It all that stuff. None of it's like. But yeah, like the way that they handled it, if it was supposed to be part of anything, the way it was touched on, there is that attention to detail, but some of the detail is important to how the story should develop, and the way they handle it, it just, it's in and out so quick. There was a mention of a rape. Mm-hmm, it was so yeah. off the cuff and so flat, uh, and, and apparently it was an important detail. The only reason I latched onto that one, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I, I had that well, moment. Of, did I hear that right? See, that that is the weird thing, is that the, the, the writer obviously threw things like this in to give their characters depth. Mm-hmm. They weren't just flat, two-dimensional people. Right. But none of these things that he provided them to provide them this depth, to give Karen this backstory of having spent time in a mental institution and for her to tell this story you know when her sister like oh are you still a virgin no didn't they tell you i was raped yeah it comes so far to left field and it doesn't actually none of that really plays into what transpires through the rest of the film so they give the characters some depth here and there but it's not any depth that has any impact on the story no and and the way that some of that it it, the delivery like that particular conversation is done all as voiceover while they're driving down the the road i'm like this this is your opportunity for actors to shine and you did this as a voiceover (laughs) well like especially uh, these were young actresses that this was supposed to be like their break and you possibly yeah you well and, and in particular uh Karen played by Kellen Bohannon mhm this and one other thing is all that she did <laughs> right yeah i think she did one film prior to this a couple and, and years she, earlier she's listed as last party guest <laughs> so oh <laughs> yeah. so she she was uh, a friend was making a movie she was a yeah. paid extra <laughs> Because mm-hmm. she actually Possibly. got credit. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, at least she's accredited <laughs> extra. Right. So. Well, I think it was interesting by choosing non-professional actors. And again, I feel like that keeps this film grounded a little bit. Because you didn't have anyone that was naturally posing because they were a star or right. anything like that. Uh, you got the feeling that there really wasn't any egos or anything to be to deal with on set. There wasn't anybody arguing that. Well, shouldn't that line be mine or anything like that? Everybody, they did they did what they were told. They must have been perfect for a freshman director. Well, or I guess you could consider him a sophomore director. Right. <laughs> I mean, Peter Fonda. I think he wanted and he wanted to do this on purpose he wanted to bring in these non-professionals and and then he was the one that wanted to say i know you don't know what you're doing just do your best and i'll guide you um i'll I'll let you know if i need more or i need less i think he needed a little more guidance (laughs) (laughs) 
maybe. Yeah, because uh, to that point, while uh, you don't need a s- star for an independent film, but uh, some when you're doing particularly, this is accredited often as an art film. Uh, I mean, it, it's an indie. It, it's supposed to be artistic. It has a message. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because he has these clearly uh, young, maybe eager actors, but uh, not seasoned, not 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 really professional, like in particularly our lead leads case. Not that she did a terrible job or anything. It's just with the ensemble of teenagers and all the delivery does come off more like a high school play than it does a professional film i think there are definitely moments and i i I will agree with you that there there are moments where it's like yep you're not trained at this at all but like any time where they're all sitting around a fire and they're trying to have their exchange This is the Overland route that Karen and I'll be taking. We're going to wait here at the dunes for the others to come up the river from Pocatello. Mm-hmm. We'll leave notes for you here and here. Okay. Watch for a flag here. Mm-hmm. How's that foot? Oh, sort of miserable. You aren't worried, are you? No. Leslie's acting a little freaky, though. I don't know. I don't know why she wants to go back. There must be somebody. You're not going through Twin Falls. Probably not worth the effort. We'll cut the Shoshone. You hear about the radio batteries? Yeah. I guess we'll have to use flares every night. Hey, Karen. Michael. Audrey, you need some help with that tent. Okay. Karen, here's the next vanilla for you. Okay, thanks, Michael. Hey, Ronald, look what they gave me. Okay, now it's your turn to talk, and now it's your turn to talk, and now it's your turn. Yeah. We went around the circle, and it didn't come off natural, and the conversation was all flat. There's not really any emotion. I mean, they're stranded in a future that they don't know that they can survive in, and it all kind of came off very matter-of-fact. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were prepping to kind of do this, but it wasn't even clear that they were prepping to... to I mean, that was the story. They did talk about it. But the way that it ends... That that rush to the end to get to the future because the government's coming to shut them down, it's not clear 100% that that's what's happening, and the way that they're behaving isn't, isn't being done as... Their delivery doesn't come off as if this is the end of their world. Like, you would right. think they'd be a lot more stressed than they were behaving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just going to add on to the point that you were making, and then you just made it for me, uh-huh. is that there is not any conflict that should be there, even within themselves. Yeah. I don't even necessarily need them to have conflict with each other, but there's no conflict within themselves that I think there would be there. Yeah. So none of them have any real internal conflict. And the only one that really does is much later in the film, uh, Karen actually has a great deal of conflict when the, the, the bomb is dropped on them that the news that, Oh, I'm sorry. We can't have kids. The transfers made us sterile. Um, excuse me. What? (laughs) And, the whole time Karen's pretty much walking through this thinking that she's pregnant yeah. and she's thinking, well, 
I'm going to need to have a lot of babies because, you know, we're rebuilding civilization. And then they drop this on her and it's just another crushing, another crushing blow to her. And, and that's where you can actually give her a little credit. She was given something to work with there. She, and it was yes. clear this created a great deal of issue for her. She, she reacted to that. Here's my problem, though. They all went to the future knowing that they were just going there to live and then to die. There was no hope. <laughs> on, on that point, what was the point of them going forward? What was the lead scientist, Karen's father, what was the point? What was his goal of sending them to pass this ecological disaster to rebuild civilization if they can't actually do that. What was the point? And does this thing not go backward? Like, it wouldn't it make more sense if, okay, we're going to render people sterile. Maybe let's litter some folks backward in time to prevent the cataclysm that's going to happen. <laughs> right. Instead of just sending, what was what? 12, 13 teenagers to the future to die at a later date. <laughs> well, and the original idea, and this, well, maybe this is something that kind of got lost in the edits of the script or something like that, is that that maybe wasn't realized until later or something. Because the whole plan wasn't just to send these 12, 20 people. It, it was they were going to get a big group. Right. You know, they're going to start recruiting. And uh, they, it, Issa even mentions that she, uh, she was thinking of actually sort of kidnapping a couple hitchhikers that they picked up right. on their way back to the, uh, the, faci- the facility because they're going to need more young people. So where was that realization that, oh, I'm sorry, yeah, you're just going, you're going you're gonna to outlive the disaster for maybe 60 years. <laughs> Assuming you <laughs> can, you were sending you into a desolate wasteland. <laughs> so. Well, that's, that's why I didn't say 70 or 80 years. <laughs> if you're lucky, maybe 40 might actually be the better idea. If you're lucky. And, and from the description and the, the choice of locales and their scenery and the sheer lack of provisions they actually took with them. They look like they took enough for a camping trip for a long weekend, not not, not enough to survive for months or years on end. So, Yeah, I mean, we, we do see the uh, two or three kids uh, grabbing a bunch of stuff from the storeroom that they can send for it because the government is there. They right. know they're going to get shut down or they're going to be discovered or found out that they haven't been spending the money the way they were supposed to. But you're right. It's still not enough to, to survive on. No. And, and because they've been visiting the area to which they're to be transported to or transferred to. Um, yeah, there's there's no guarantee of a food source beyond what they go to. And unless we are to assume that they have slowly been trying, you know, they've have been transferring for a while now. So maybe they have already built a stockpile and this was just the last grab the last that we can well and again that's where there there's a little lack of story there because even once we're in the future and 
They don't seem troubled by their lack of provisions or the fact that they're sterile. Uh, but when they get there, the group wanders off to go somewhere, and uh, they there's a there's discussion of Portland, Oregon, a, a, as a destination. So maybe I'll I'll follow your train of thought that perhaps. There was a front team that did go somewhere and can had found a place to set up, and maybe the Portland, Oregon area was that, which is why that was their destination. But that wasn't shared with us. So even when when they get there and they still we're we're gonna start walking to Portland from Idaho, like right. why? <laughs> <laughs> the beginning of the film you definitely get the impression that they've been doing this transfer for a while yeah. they're there they're they're in the future they're they're doing studies of uh, wildlife that has survived yep. you know they're measuring snakes they're tagging them uh so they can track them so who knows what all has transpired prior to us coming into the story right but i mean we're now in this story you gotta give us a little something <laughs> You're, you're, you're asking us to hang our hat on a whole lot of nothing. So, because the way the story's a little thin, um, they don't give enough information, and then you do it with unseasoned actors that aren't given the proper motivation, it comes off kind of bland and, and no sense of urgency in anything. Like, even when we get to the more climactic scene with with Karen deciding, okay, I can't have babies. Um, I don't want to hang out with you people anymore because <laughs> what's the point? So she tries to make her way back to the original location and where the time machine is. And there were three people there. Two of them are now dead. One still seems perfectly healthy, but she's lost her mind. We don't know why. Well, here's another thing. <laughs> because you got so many young, inexperienced actors, my point earlier is almost a double-edged sword. Mm. Because, yeah, there isn't that standout. Right. There isn't that ego. There isn't that standout among them. The problem is, none of them stand out. <laughs> and so, suddenly... Who's who? I mean, suddenly this one, this woman shows up and you're like, who the hell is she? Right. Wait, do I need to, let me rewind and go back and remind myself who the heck this woman's supposed to be. I think she was the one that had the bum ankle, right? The hairline fracture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She was the one recovering from her wound. So she was staying with the other cup with the, the, uh, Arthur and another woman and they were going to man the original site just to... I don't know why. Uh, be the anchor, I guess. Well, I assume they were going to keep an eye on there, see if there were any transfers coming through, or if they had access to go back. Right. Uh, but, yeah, so Karen gets back there and, and is attacked by this woman, and my first thought is, who the heck is this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it takes me a minute. It, it, it took me a minute with that. I, I did latch on to that she was the one with the hurt foot. Uh, and Which has healed dramatically well. Because uh, well, well, it has been apparently weeks. two other people will, will, will put a little spring in your step. But, right. 
But, and, and as she rants, uh, you get the sense that she's just kind of lost her mind. That, that She goes on this uh, rant that uh, they, they were consuming everything. I'm like, well, that's because you had very few provisions, and people do that. Uh, but, right. but you've lost your mind. But, like, we, we weren't getting why she's attacking Karen at this point. Because <laughs> that's the other thing. Even if she went off on those two here's somebody that might have provisions and you're trying to murder them immediately. So I don't well, know. She I, would just want it. She would just want to share. And this woman didn't want to share. Apparently not. But I mean, she did. It, it, it was clear that she had gone nuts. I like, I, we just didn't get a whole lot of, there wasn't enough there to latch on to why was this happening? And yeah, it would almost make more sense if you could have kind of did a um, character switch. If you're going to have someone that's just recently been diagnosed with a mental breakdown or something like that, maybe that would have been certainly a more motivation and less of a surprise for her to go off the deep end. Mm-hmm. You know, couldn't you have figured out a way to have a, a minor character with that backstory versus your star? Well, yeah, because uh, at this point, your star is uh, looking fairly well focused. Right. She's got a. She's got actual urgency, and she's got she's got agency. I think is what the word I was looking for. Not urgency. She's got a little bit of agency. Yes. I had to read up on this too because Issa. Our, our, our first heroine that we're introduced to, who is supposed to indoctrinate Karen, her sister, into all of this, which we're getting the backstory of the mental health and the taking the braces off and, and, and the rape and all that. She's clearly got the most going on, but then none of it truly impacts her later that we learn it. But... I had to read that apparently the reason the Issa character dies after the fall that she took and then the the transfer back is, I, I read in one of the things that it was the transfer back that killed her, that she had traveled too many times, that hmm. it, it, it's a it's a compounding issue. It's part of why adults can't go is. Their systems can't take it. They need somebody younger. But if you transfer too many times, doesn't matter how old you are, uh, your system can't take it long term. I don't know. I'm curious if that's sort of span, fan speculation or just things that have come up and as just sort of yeah. trying to find reason. Uh, I don't know that that... I, I guess I can buy it. Sure, but, but I mean, she could have also gotten a concussion and then, uh, upon return, aspirated the vomit that she clearly mm-hmm. did and then just died from that. We don't know, but the, again, there's another little point. We don't know. <laughs> this is a thing that happened, and we don't know how it went down or why, and why no one's around that gives a crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the facility is, like, almost completely empty at that point, and that was before everyone had transferred, so why was the facility empty? Why couldn't uh, Karen find help? Yeah. And then there's the there's the giant jump from that moment to who knows how much time has passed that Karen is pretty much just living in the future. You know, her father keeps writing letters, and people have been transferring back and forth for however long 
that has transpired. Right. And she's got dozens of letters from her father, none of which that she's opened. But there's that giant gap. There's a giant jump. It's like, what the heck has gone on in that time? Right. <laughs> yeah. I, well, and this is always one of those things that, that throws me. Because um, when Karen goes back with Issa and she can't find help, but I... Literally every time Karen turns around while she's screaming down hallways for help, there's a phone on the wall, literally, right, right next to her. I'm like, okay. Well, doesn't she try to use it and nothing, no one answers? No, she didn't, she didn't pick it up. Oh, okay. And that's part, that was one of the things that was driving me absolutely mad. She's yelling up and down the hallway, but there is literally a phone on the hook. Hit the zero. Get somebody. <laughs> anybody like it's got to go somewhere you you're part of this organization in some capacity you must know a number to dial this is the 70s that people knew phone numbers then even the death of Issa seems a little pointless Mm -hmm. other than sending Karen into her you know state of funk for a while there seemed to be no rhyme or reason for it to happen and even that additional state of depression that Karen finds herself in, she climbs out of it as she travels with the uh, the one guy on their way to the next uh, rendezvous point. Yeah. And it doesn't seem to really affect her at all. And this is where I'll probably hearken back to, eh, maybe you needed some more seasoned... Uh, Again, we don't get a sense of how much time is passing. We don't know who's who all interacting. There's bits and pieces that are missing from this. Well, the the whole story feels like we're watching an abridged version of a much larger novel. Yes. I made a note down here is that where I feel that most of the filming was done straight, I think some of the editing was done high. <laughs> <laughs> And I think a little bit of that is I wonder how much was filmed and was just cut out. They said, no, it's going to make the film too long. Let's, let's cut out this. It's like literally ripping out chapters of a book and then expecting it to still make sense. I would agree with that. And I'm going to, because you, you, you're talking about, uh, we're talking about the 70s. We're talking about Peter Fonda, man with a, with, with a name to himself. Uh, filmmaking on influence. Uh, yeah. Filmmaking under, uh, on fil- influence. Filmmaking uh, under the influence. Uh, yeah. I'm also going to talk uh, about. Uh, I had brought this up before we started. Uh, lots of wherever I could find something to read about. I had I'd struggled for um, reviews, and we won't get into that just yet. But uh, uh, but just general commentary ar- around the film um, stuff that I had found. Because uh, I think this was put into the category of art film, and because Peter Fonda is part of this, I, there's, I think, some additional latitude that that is put there. And I, I struggle when people give high praise to an art film that I myself will watch um, and find a little flat, a little, a little not well put together. But it gets high praise as being evocative and and all of that. Um, 
like one of the things that somebody brought up in one of the articles that I read about is the notion that only um, teenagers could could travel to the future like that was commentary on um, the uh, 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 the generation gap and all sure. that. I'm like, was it? <laughs> I I honestly I would probably actually agree with that there was definitely this was done by a younger person peter fonda sure he was definitely sort of um making comment about my dad's generation the the old generation really screwed things up you know it's up to the younger the youngsters to save the world if that was his his goal, he didn't really pull that off because the younger generation went forward to die, <laughs> and, and and so that is a really big sticking point with me is the whole why in the world throw in the idea that oh and everyone's sterile why why is that there so either this was a bleak commentary on the gen on the generation gap in that um, our parents ruined the world and they didn't give us the tools to make it better. I, I could go with something like that, but I, there was not enough meat in this to get to that. So that was my problem when, when, when commentary starts forming around making it a truly fantastic art film and it doesn't have enough meat to give me that, that sense of like, I think you're just laying it on thick at this point. <laughs> I think the only reason this might get, or one of the main reasons this might get kind of labeled as art film is, as I said, is what was done in the editing bay, not so much what was done on film. Because it's in the editing that you get the the weird, the weird transitions from scene to scene. It's in the editing where you get the little flashbacks to events that happened and transpired interposed with things that are going on at the moment. I mean, this is right at the very end. Those are the elements that I think people say, oh, this is an art film. I think if those little bits weren't there, this isn't an art film. It's just a failed message film. And since um, I'm just going to use the failed message as an excellent segue to us talking about the end. And we have to talk about we the end. We have to talk about the end. I feel like the end is the entire point of the film. Didn't do a very good job. <laughs> well, just as you were talking about how the uh, the whole idea of her being a, a mental patient, the, the bringing up the rape, yep. um, stuff like that, as much as all that feels like it came out of left field, mm-hmm. this ending came from somebody in the nosebleeds... <laughs> <laughs> way up in the out over the outfield <laughs> in a stadium somewhere in another state <laughs> right yeah <laughs> yeah uh I'll, I'll go into it uh so uh, our our heroine karen who has managed to evade being killed by the the woman that has lost her mind um after killing two other people because they were using the rations um she has managed to go back in time 
Uh, she, yeah, the, the, the transfer devices reactivate for some reason. Yes, no, she notices that they have power while she's locked herself in there for, for safety. She uses this moment of reactivation to send herself back to the to her original time, where she shows up and startles um, the people that are just watching. I don't know why there's a guy having a sandwich in the room at the time. Well, I what I take it is the military has cleaned house. You know, uh, her father is who knows where he is. They've taken over the facility, and now they're trying to figure out just what the hell they were doing. And so these were technicians and guards that were there just trying to uh, reverse engineer this to figure out what in the world they were trying to accomplish. That, that's a reasonable jump. I will accept your answer. Thank you. And that would explain why they are, you know, the devices are re-energized. Sure. That, that gives us our moment of opportunity here. Um, how that translates across time, uh, that could be an entire conversation unto itself. Well, obviously the two units are, as uh, Issa points out, phased. Right. And, you know, and, they are connected. And, and you know what? I, I'll take this as a point to give them credit on detail is... Essentially, when moving through time, when it's set, and, and, and this is where I'll accept part of what happens in the description I'm trying to go through, is uh, essentially time is passing literally, linearly, linearly yeah, however, a straight line. <laughs> it's passing <laughs> in a straight line in their original time and then 56 years later. So they are moving at the same speed at all times. So therefore, uh, whatever happens, in, if it's set to 56 years, no matter what, if it's Monday, 56 years later, it's Monday on that end. And therefore, Tuesday lines up with Tuesday, Wednesday, so, so on and so on. So if we accept that premise and we accept that uh, the soldiers are there at that time and they have managed to turn that on, that is why she is seeing this power at this stage and not five days ago or whatever. So accepting that as the premise. She has gone back. She's throwing them off their game. She takes this opportunity. The part I will take a little um, problem with is somehow she knows how to recalibrate the machine to send her to a different point in time. Yeah, she doesn't actually truly know. She's taking guesses because I think she her idea is she actually wants to go back before the woman murders everybody. I assume she's it, trying to it, reset it, in some way. Yeah, exactly. She wants to try to reset. She's planning something. So, yes, without knowing anything about a time machine, <laughs> she starts fiddling with the knobs. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> uh, she literally finds the Allen key. <laughs> to, do, to do this, which I think is hysterical. It's clear she has no idea what she's doing. This should have been called Ikea transfer. Yep. <laughs> Pun for the day. Um, anyway, uh, so she manipulates this, in which case, whatever her goal was, because it wasn't clear what she was trying to accomplish, just that she wasn't going back to the exact same spot. So whatever her goal was, she succeeds in offsetting it, only she set, she set herself further forward in time. And we're going to have to 
by what we see next, we're going to have to call it probably decades. Oh, at least. At least. Minimum decades, probably more on the order of centuries. Uh, yeah, I'd say at least a century. Yes. Because we're talking about going from a time that they were in 1973, they were transporting to 2044. Yeah. And then when she transfers the final time, there is obviously an advanced civilization now where before there was just a a group of what they called third generation survivors that were like deaf mutes and were just sort of surviving just by eating whatever like the grazing right. like animals right uh they, they were described as pe- during the the original find of them they were described as very peaceful and and, and all that but uh, and our first look into this is we see the degree uh, like there is no evidence that there were bodies there uh, the desiccation of a body has reached its full extent like the guy that was in the one unit he is gone it just doesn't exist he is just a smattering if anything um the the metal bottles that probably held their water supply have been they have been corroded to a point where the holes pass all the way through yes that was another um Actually, that was actually another little detail. Little detail that I really liked is, yeah, the the original campsite was littered with these metallic water bottles, and then she finds the campsite again in the far future. The bottles are still there, but they've all been battered and weathered. I thought that was actually a. You could have easily just not had anything. Someone took a hammer to these things or a rock, dozens of water bottles, and beat the crap out of them so they look like they've been sitting around for. Like you said, decades or maybe a century. Yes. So, which, that was great. And, and then then it gets a little flashy, like she's remembering stuff and, and all that. But somehow she ends up in a road where there is a quote-unquote futuristic car that drives up. And the people throw her in the trunk and drive away with her. Of course it was. What happens when we run out? We just put one in. We won't need another for quite a ways. I didn't mean that. I mean, what if we run out of all of them and we can't even find any? They'll figure out another way for us. We can use something else. What if that's too hard or expensive? And what if they decide they can't change? We'll use each other then, won't we? I don't even know how to go into this because she's she's talking about it like they they have they didn't rescue her. They they have taken her and what they're getting around to in the conversation. She's going to be used as a fuel source. Yeah, exactly. Um, but they talk about using only the people who have traveled 
as the... No, what they're talking about, I think, is what they were using for fuel was the... What, I don't know what you want to call them. The original survivors that they found. Okay. You know, the, the ones that... Um, the ones that aren't advanced, the ones that are just, you know, the deaf mutes that are living in small groups and eating grass. That's who they were thinking this girl was. That's what, what they've been using for fuel. I get it. The, 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 this is Peter Fauna wanted to say how we fuel our things. We're ruining our environment. We're going to run out and we might not figure out in time how to change. Quite frankly, you could have stuck that in right now <laughs> and yeah, it'd be relevant. No, absolutely. The problem is what this had to do with the rest of the film, I couldn't begin to tell you. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the film. It was just another message yep. that this film was trying to convey. And, I mean, it, it says something. It does. But why we sat through an hour and a half to get that message... <laughs> You know, in this movie, I'm not sure. Right. I mean, if you're doing the whole uh, gen, or I keep wanting to say gender gap, I mean generation gap. If you wanted to do the generation gap, you kind of had that film there. You didn't do it very well, but you had it. <laughs> and then in the last two minutes of the film, <laughs> you pull this out and like, Wait, what did this have to do with with fuel sources? Uh, um, okay, and this actually leads me back into my biggest problem with the whole thing. What the hell happened in the 56-year span? That bugged me almost right away. They found something that, that affected the planet in some way. It was never given. The, it was it was an ecological disaster. Ecological disaster. Yes, it was. And that that's it. That's what it was. It was an ecological disaster. But that's supposed to be part of the message. But we don't know what we did. <laughs> well, I I wonder if it was some sort of virus, which would explain the people that are still there, and the bags that they find on a train. Exactly. I was just going to say, Karen and, and the one guy who, when they were traveling, they find a big, long train stop, stopped on the tracks. He manages to get one of the doors open, and he finds that it. they don't go into details. She's like, well, you know, what was in there? I bet she was like refrigerators or something. It wasn't empty, was it? He's like, no, it wasn't empty. He says, they were, they were all in bags. Looks like they were probably heading for the coast. So, yeah, it was a train full of corpses Yep. in body bags, probably going to a giant mass grave or a, a an incinerator a, or something. An incinerator, exactly. So I'm wondering if it was some sort of virus, a plague. It would have been nice to maybe fill in that little detail somewhere because it was supposed to play a role. Yeah, well, I get the feeling that even they, somehow George is a scientist. Somehow the scientists knew something was going to happen I guess they didn't know exactly what or in what form it was going to take. Yeah, it was that was really sketchy. You, you know, if only you had a time machine where maybe you could <laughs> go to these moments in time and figure it out. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Apparently, since apparently you can dial it in with an Allen key. So, <laughs> I, I get no, uh, I want to loop back. The, 
this has so much potential and there's a good story in here and and a very interesting uh set of uh the the device that they use the details they go into it's all it's all there it just didn't coalesce into a coherent story i really find this film this is maybe the third time i've watched it the first time i watched it was years ago i'm sure it was a decade 15 years ago the second time sometime within that um i think i didn't remember having watched it and then started watching it and went oh yeah i remember this it's one of those weird films that despite the fact that there are obviously issues with the script Mm -hmm. there's issues with you you could say there's issues with the level of acting or in the lack of professional actors it's a film that you still you can't help but sort of dwell and think about Mm -hmm. long after you've watched it oh i will totally give it that because yeah for good and bad reasons <laughs> right you, it's just your imagination has to fill in the gaps too so it begs conversation it kind of haunts me is <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of the it's a weird way to put it but that's kind of what it does it does i watch it and it does stick in my head for a while it does do that indeed Shall we uh, read off the uh, little blurb we got from at least we managed to find one review? Yeah, yeah, yes, please. Let's let's see what we got. This is from, uh, it would have been from uh, Time Magazine at the time, uh, Jay Cox from December of uh, 73. Um, goes through uh, a bit of history in there, but then uh, the uh, relevant stuff is Idaho transfer could have been shrill and preachy in its ecological warning but fonda keeps it in check yes and no (laughs) the movie has the sharpness of a classroom documentary which lends to a nice tone of satire but also often undoes it the cast with one exception is non-professional and their uncertainty and clumsiness with lines not only underplays the drama of the script but sometimes undercuts it altogether. Vacant-eyed, the actors mumble the dialogue as if di- as if reading the instructions on a medicine bottle. It's <laughs> <So. laughs> a clever way to say that, that there was something there, but maybe not got pulled off quite as intended. No, there's definitely a few times where some of the line deliveries were like, as you put, very succinctly, high school drama kind of thing. Yeah, it comes off a little dry and robotic, so which uh, any scared high schooler would do. This film is uh, very easy to find and to watch. It's uh, through it's all over YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually watched it through Hoopla, which is uh, through the local library book and movie and music rental. Easy to find. It's in some circles thought to be public domain, but I can't really confirm or deny that. Uh, I have a feeling, though, that it is relatively abandoned. You know, if someone holds the rights to it, they either don't care or don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And and I don't know about you, but I don't know if there is a good quality version. None of the ones that you're going to find are really going to be any better than another. They're all about the same. Even the one I watched on Hoopla is probably just as good as what you're going to find on YouTube. 
Yeah, I, I watched through Tubi. Um, I don't know what's on your DVD, but everything came off very grainy. and uh, It's probably the same transfer. It's a little rough. There's not a whole lot of clarity in there. This is not a 4K reproduction of anything. No, no. <laughs> Honestly, until we sat down to record and I tried to think of when I first watched this, I forgot I had it on DVD. <laughs> I watched it streaming. and It's actually easier than me going through all those discs and trying to figure out which one it's on. <laughs> the unlabeled double-sided DVDs. Uh, effectively, yes. Yeah, those yeah. are fun. They're labeled, but just in the spindle yep. area, you know, the little hole. Yeah. It's like trying to read the record uh, as it goes around. <laughs> <laughs> it's an odd one because despite all its flaws, it's one that I kind of recommend people watch if you like kind of science fiction for sure. Uh, it's not it's not groundbreaking. It's the little things, like I was saying, the little attentions to detail eat within the script and within the actual... Um, uh, creation of the world of in which these people live, both past or both present and future. It's all those little things that I think really attract me to this film and make me, I'd actually say like it, despite all the flaws. I still like this movie. I, I, I could see that. I mean, it has that apocalyptic quality. If you like 70s sci-fi kind of thing it's got that vibe it's got that post-apocalyptic thing it has that innocence about it too i mean regardless of the the level of uh, acting and delivery and even storytelling there's something innocent about the film itself that makes it watchable yeah so if you've uh, not seen it yet already and are okay with going and watching a film that's been pretty well spoiled i encourage you to go and check it out and let you know come back and let us know what you think i think that will do it for idaho transfer we are going to stay within this decade but we're going to jump forward about five years we're going to look at a tv movie and it's the tv movie version of the time machine from 1978 we were due this yeah i i We watched the original Time Machine, you know, now we're going to watch the 1978, and I think later in the year we'll probably do the, uh, what was it, 04, I guess it was, remake? I think it was 04, yeah. Yeah, no, we'll definitely fit that one in as well. So, we're in the middle of the Time Machine right now. There you go. It should be fun. I I have not watched this one. It's been a long time since I've watched this one. It was probably on TV the last time I watched this one. Yeah, and it would have been the 80s. <laughs> uh-huh. That's probably the last time I saw that one. <laughs> so this should be fun. Yeah, it should be a good time. So that's going to do it. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Any comments or feedback on this or any episode, please send us to it. Uh, send them to us at timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. Come to the Facebook group, all those social media. Like I said, follow the link tree. You'll find links to all the social medias that we uh, that we play in. Tom, thanks very much. I'm glad that this was not there. I was I was thinking this film. You were either going to be a little bit like myself, where it's like, yeah, it's not good, but I enjoyed it, or you're gonna like, you're gonna hate it. And I <laughs> I I think you fell at least 
a step or two, maybe a toe onto my side. <laughs> no, I, I'm somewhere in between that. And either way, it's always fun to take the, I can't even believe I'm going to say, I'm going to say it was fun to take the journey. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that, but I said it. Anyway. it was, well, I think it was fun to take the Idaho transfer. That's what I Ah, there you go. All right, that's going to do it. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you in a couple weeks. Bye. See ya.